What's up, Crossroads fam? It's Kenny. Glad that you're here with us for our next message in our Take the Step series. Uh, We're on step two, and the thing we found out is that step two is such a large step, we're going to have to take two weeks to actually cover it all. It's all about communication, and the greatest part of the communication is through communicating, you begin to know who someone is. Our second step is to know God. Welcome to Crossroads. Uh, we started with our steps and becoming a successful Christian. I think we all came to the realization that none of us want to be average. We don't want to just fit in with the crowd. We want to be successful. And success is not something that just happens. We mentioned that there's not a golden elevator to take you there. You've got steps that you have to take to get to success. It doesn't matter what it is. We talked about the movie Mully, about how he worked from absolutely being a guy that begged on the streets to being a multimillionaire to selling everything to help orphans. So here's a man that took steps, and he is considered in my world, one of the greatest Christians this world's ever seen because of what he did for his love for God. And so these steps that we take, of course, our first step is you have to be a Christian to become a successful Christian. That's our Captain Obvious statement of the month, probably. But if you're wanting to be a successful Christian, first you have to be a Christian. And we talked about different steps in that first step, ways that you become successful, ways that you are, once you are that Christian, the things that prove that you are a Christian. So I just want to ask, and I'm not going to ask anybody to to do it or to, to stand up and say it, but I'm curious, did anybody memorize the verse I gave you last week? Okay. Now my question, why? This is when you respond. The goat ate my passage of scripture, Brother Kenny. I was witnessing to a farmer and his goat came and ate it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Hey, this isn't a bash. I just want us to think about this. We've memorized blast. We know every song. We know every dance move. We memorize our plays that we do in football, baseball, basketball, uh, chess, whatever else you're involved in, soccer. We, we memorize all these things. You sit down and you memorize different things that you have to do in schoolwork, yet the most important thing is not the most important thing to us because just one passage of Scripture. One of the reasons that we want you to memorize Scripture is because it takes you to that second step. And our second step for becoming a successful Christian is to know who God is. Now, that's a statement that I throw out there and I say, you need to know who God is. And the majority of you would say, I know who God is. Uh, just, just real quick, think of a word that would describe God. Shoot a hand up and I'll point at you and you tell me your answer. It's real quick. It's really simple. Yes. Power. 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 You have to say it like Arnold. Power. Strong. Yes, ma'am. Omniscient. Omniscient. That was a good one. Yes. Father. I love that one. Sorry, Father is a special word. Yes, sir. Creator. Okay. Love. Love. That's a good one, too. And not that any of them are bad. Sorry. Funny. Funny? Yeah. Why would you point at me when you say he's got a sense of humor? <laughs> Look at Kenny. He's got a sense of humor. I agree. Yeah, you're right. There are so many words that describe God, but the question comes to mind is, are these words that you truly see God as, or are these words that you've heard other people describe God as? Until you actually spend time with Him, until you actually know who He is on a personal level, you can't really give an attribute of who God is, because all you've got is head knowledge of who He is. The longest distance, someone asked the question, say, how, how far is it to hell? And the answer is 18 inches. It's having head knowledge of God, and it's 18 inches to your heart, not having Him in your heart. Now, that is a churchy way of saying you surrendered yourself to Him. 
But that's one of the things that, that I really think we need to understand is that before I can truly say who God is to me, I've got to know who He is. A couple of years ago, something happened in our family. We, we saved and we scrapped, scraped up money and we did everything. We tried to sell our child, but we realized we wanted to take him with us. But we ended up going to New York. Now, I had been to New York years earlier. My wife had been to New York years earlier. And just we had really just thought, hey, we want to go to New York because a missionary up there had contacted me years ago and said, hey, I want you to come and work with our church. And so I want you to bring a group of folks up. And before we said we would do that, I wanted my wife and I to go up and heck, we didn't have nothing else to do with the boys. So we took him with us and we went to New York. Now, since that time, we, Jessica and I have been to New York three times. And by the end of this summer, we'll have been five times. And it's become one of these places that we've fallen in love with. And I want you to understand that this is not something uh, that only rich people can do because we support, we can't pay attention. But you find a way to do things that are important to you. And this place has become very important to us. And here's the thing. If you were to tell me a word that describes New York, Tessie, you've been a thousand times. Give me a word that would describe New York to you. Lights. I'm sorry? Lights. Lights, yeah. Anybody? All right, somebody else. Just give me a word you think describes New York. Noisy? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it is noisy. Uh, the, the national hello is a horn. Yes, ma'am. Busy. Busy. Yeah. Did you love it, though? I love it. I love it. I couldn't live there, though. There's no way. I would be on the news next week. <laughs> White fat guy kills everyone. Yeah, I, I just I couldn't do it. But one of the things that we've come to know is that there are things that because we have experienced New York on a different level, because we've been there several times, we've got a good understanding. Like, if you want the best slice of pie, you don't go into Manhattan. You go to Ben's. Now, you go to Bay Ridge, and you go two blocks from where the hotel is where you stay, and there's this place called Ben's, and you walk in, and you order a slice of pep and a slice of grandma, which sounds really weird because you expect some old lady to come back, oh, not another one, but no, it's a, it's a pizza that they create called a grandma, and it's a rectangular pizza, and it's so good. That is the best pizza you can't imagine. And you walk in, and there's these two guys behind a counter, and you see about this much of them because they're really short, and they go, what do you want? And you go, give me a pep and give me a, a grandma. They go, okay. And you get it and you go over and they give you a paper plate and they give you these napkins that don't absorb anything. It just smears it over your face. And you go get a soda out of the, the cooler and you sit down and you enjoy the greatest pizza ever. The best view of Manhattan is when you go down to the Brooklyn Bridge. Now there's this area called Jumbo. And now when you're in Jumbo, you're going to find the best place to get a whole pie. And Jessica, what's the name of it? Grimaldi's. Grimaldi's is one of these places, I think it's the second or third oldest pizza place in the United States. And when you walk in there, there's this guy from Poland, and he stands there, and he's got real mafia short hair, and he looks mafia, and he's like, how you doing? How many you got? And we was like, uh, we got five, we got five, we got five. Hey, we got five over here. And you're like, yes, sir, we got five over here. And he said, so where are you guys from? We're from Alabama. <laughs> okay. And he started playing music from the country group Alabama. And I had the heart to say I don't like country music, so I just listened to it because I was afraid he'd kill me. <laughs> but they have the best pizza. And when you leave there after your tummy's all fully full, full, you walk down to the waterfront in Jumbo and you get the most beautiful view of Manhattan at night. 
Uh, it's spectacular. It is breathtaking. If you're walking across the Brooklyn Bridge, you want to make sure you're on the proper side of the bridge because if not, there's thousands of people coming this way and you're going to just start running into folks and you're going to get some really nasty looks from, po- from folks that commute that way every day. And also, you look down and it's got like stick figure walking, stick figure on bicycle. You don't need to be over here because those are bicycle lanes and you'll hear she-ching, she-ching. They put little bell thingies on their bicycles. You'll hear that and you'll hear beep, 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 and all the way. Things that you learn. Now, if I just describe New York as big, well, duh. You know, every day there's over 4 million people that are going through that area. Of course it's big. If I were to say there's a lot of lights, that's something you've seen on TV. But once you experience it, it's different. When you come out of a subway at 42nd Street and you look up and all the billboards that you've watched on TV for a thousand years are just blasting you in the face, oh, it's an experience. Man, y'all should go. Stay around till you're a senior and you can go. I'll take you. I mean, you can go anytime, but I'll take you as a senior. It's something that you've got to experience. For those of you that just had a Valentine over in, those of you that didn't, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, But for those of you that did have a Valentine, if I were to ask you what makes that Valentine special, and young lady, you looked at me and you said, oh, Jim Bob, he's got pretty hair. Okay? I can look at Jim Bob and see if he's got pretty hair. But why do you like him? If the only reason you like him because he got pretty hair, at some point he's going to go bald like I'm doing. He might even grow a unicorn horn like I'm doing. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's like the revenge of my cat. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry, my wife's giving me this. Um, but you've got to have more reason that you are attracted to that person. Uh, I was looking on the, the interweb the other day on Instagram, and there were three engagement announcements. And I looked at those three engagement announcements, and two of them are here in our church, and one of them is in a church in Wisconsin from a girl that used to go to church here. And as I was looking at that, I was thinking, you know, what did she see in him? And it couldn't just be because he's pretty. There's got to be something more to it. I look at him and say, what did he see in her? And it might just be that she accepted him. I don't know. Maybe that's all it was. But there's something deeper. But you can't get to that deeper understanding of what that person is until you are spending time with them, until you are there in the moment, until they become part of who you are. And so that's what knowing God is. It's more than just knowing that he is the creator. You can walk outside and see that he's done something special. I mean, you go out and look at the stars. You can see that something special has happened. As the trees are starting to bloom, you can see that something special has happened. As you're putting on your shorts and feeling comfortable, next Wednesday it's going to be a low of 25. <laughs> Guys, messing with y'all. He high sprinkled. That's something cold. So you know that God is the creator. You know that God is big because anything that could create the universe, the known universe we understand it as is 13 billion light years. So anyone that could create something like that has to be big. And anyone that could love every person has to be crazy love. Francis Chan, there you go. But what do you truly know about him? And one of the ways that we get to know any person is through conversation, right? I mean, if I want to know something about you, I come and ask you a question. And that leads us to the step of knowing God. One of the greatest ways to know who God is is through our prayer life. Now, I don't know about you, but there are certain times of my life that I pray a lot harder. When one of you, one of you are sick, 
I pray my guts out. I pray over you guys every day. And that's not an exaggeration. Every day in that office, I pray over you. I look across at the pictures of the seniors that have graduated from years gone by, over 21 years of seniors in there, and I pray over them every day. But when one of you are sick or one of you are hurting, I pray like I don't know. I've never prayed. It's just one of those things. It's part of what I feel like I need to be doing. Just on my face, pray for you guys. There are times in my life where prayer becomes something different. But there are also times in my life where I throw out the sandwich prayer. Y'all know the sandwich prayer, right? Dear God, thank you for today. That's our bread. Thank you for all that you are. That's our meat. And give me a good night's sleep. That's the end of our bread. And there's not really a lot of heart to it. You know, no, no offense to the God is great, God is good. Many of us learn our prayer life on that. But if you're 48 and they say, Brother Kenny, would you pray for us? Yes, let's all bow our heads. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Everybody's going to be <laughs> Nah, he's done. You're fired. Our prayer life needs to grow. Our prayer life needs to strengthen and grow as we grow in Christ. And even the disciples were curious about what prayer truly was. Now, you've got to understand the disciples were Jewish men. And it is thought, theologians say that the, the disciples, all of them, but maybe one, were teenagers. How about that? Jesus took a bunch of teenagers and changed the world. I don't know if that gives you hope, but I think that's pretty special. And the reason that they think that there, were only, there was only one of the disciples that was over 19 years old is because when Jesus was talking to the disciples, the disciples said something about the, 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 the tax that had to be paid as they went into the temple. Jesus said, go catch a fish and reach in that fish and pull out a coin for you and pull out one for me as well. And only men that were 20 years old would have to pay the temple tax, 20 years or above. So the rest of the disciples were 19 years old. But they were Jewish men who were brought up in a Jewish culture who understood what prayer was because they'd been taught their whole life how to pray. They were said, these are the things that you pray. So they knew what prayer was, but they saw that there was something different when Jesus was praying. And that's something I want us to focus in on because who else would know how to talk to their father but Jesus? And as Jesus would sit down to pray, they went to him and they said, teach us how to pray. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11. They said, teach us how to pray. They saw that there was something different about when Jesus prayed. They saw it wasn't a liturgical thing. It wasn't a social thing. It wasn't something that he did so folks would go, oh, look at how he's praying. It was a genuine desire, desire to spend time with Jesus, or with God. It was a desire to sit down and just speak to him. My father was a truck driver for years, and he would leave on his trip. Now, he didn't stay overnight very often, but I do remember a couple of times when he had to. He was going to Houston, Texas a great deal, and he was spending time in Houston. And by this time, I'd already moved out of the house, and so I didn't speak to my father every day, unfortunately. But he had been gone for two days and was coming back home. And I just had it on my heart that I had to see him. And as soon as my dad got home, my mother called and she said, Kenny, Ken, your daddy's home. And I said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And I jumped in my car and I took off up there because I wanted to see my father. And as I sat down with him, I said, Daddy, how was your trip? It was good. What'd you see? And I was like that three-year-old again. What'd you do? Did you see anybody you knew? Was it hot out there? Did you run any rain? Did you kill any animals? Did you see any dinosaurs? Did you eat tacos? You know, I got a million questions I want to ask him because I genuinely wanted to be there with him in that moment. And that's what the disciples saw when they saw Jesus pray. They saw that there was something different about the way he prayed. And so they desired to have that connection. They desired to have that specialness. And the thing is, is when God is the number one thing in your life, people look at that and they want that. 
They want, they desire that. And they don't know why. These disciples are like, well, we've prayed our whole life, but I've never heard anybody pray like that. Hey, teach us how to pray. And that's where we step into the model prayer. Now, for many of you, the time that you've heard the model prayer the most is if you're an athlete and you stood in a circle and you said, That's usually what you get in the midst of a huddle. But as you look into it deeper, it gives us brilliant attributes of who God is, of what He is. Words that not only describe who He is, but just have the essence of what God is. And the first thing that we noticed was the word that you used, somebody used over there, I can't remember who it was, but they said Father. That was Hallie. Father. To me, that is a very, very special word. Now, I called my dad Pappy. That's what I called him. As soon as Bear was born, I handed my son to, to my father, and I said, Pappy, here's your grandson. And he went, oh, and I was afraid he was eating him, but he couldn't see him. Immaculate degeneration. So he was doing this so he could see him. And I stood there with him, and I started calling him Pappy. Pappy is what I called him. But when I had the honor of doing my, my father's funeral, I didn't really speak about Pappy. I spoke about my father. Because that term to me is a very respectful term. And you understand that Jesus didn't just call and go, Hey, God, if you got a second, let me, let me go and tell you what I want. He said, Father, a title of reference. I mean, a reference of, of honor. A reference of this is not the big man upstairs. This is not my homeboy. This is not, hey, God. It wasn't a casual way of saying it. It was, Father, something special about that word, especially when you're talking about your heavenly Father. And so one, one thing that we see, one of the attributes that we see of God is that He is our Father. And for many people, some of you may be in this room, you can't wrap your mind around what Father means because maybe you've not had one, or you didn't have a good, or you, in your mind you don't think you have a good one. I'm heartbroken over that thought. But I do understand this, that as much as my dad loved me, as much as Pappy loved me, as much as Daddy loved me, as much as my father loved me, there's a God in heaven that loves me even more. And God loves you. And there's something special about you. We talked about an embrace the other week. There's something special about that embrace. Probably drives my son crazy, but I just like to go up and hug on him. And it's, it went from this to this because he's about as tall as I am now. But there's something special about that to me. There's just something special about feeling the presence of your Father. And my prayer many times is that you would feel like you've crawled up in the lap of God and you feel His arms hugging you. There's something special about that safety that is felt there in your Father's arms. So Jesus starts out by calling Him Father. And I just have to believe, as amazing as God is, when He heard that name called, He just kind of focused a little bit more right there. He focused right there. And this is Jesus showing the disciples that he is something special. And then he says, hallowed be thy name. I'll tell you what, uh, somebody read verses, just do two and three for us. We're only going to get through a couple of parts of this. So just verses, i tell you, do one through three. Somebody one through three for me. A little bit louder, I can't quite hear it. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, give us this day our daily bread. Hallowed. How many of you have used that word today, other than just then when you were reading it along with it, if you were reading along? That's one of those church words that you don't use much. 
I, I honestly, I can say I probably never used that word other than saying the Lord's Prayer. So I look at that word and I go, then why would they use that word? Well, they spoke different than we did. It was translated in a different time. But there is a meaning in that word that would make sense to us, and it's the word worthy. And when you see that, if you replace that worthy instead of hallowed, worthy is your name. His name alone is worthy. And I, I, I got I to gotta try to clue you in on this. What's something that you would say is valuable, that has a lot of worth to you? Maybe it's your car, maybe it's jewelry, maybe it's a phone, maybe it's a relationship. But all of that stuff can end at some point. But the relationship with God, one that never forsakes us. Not only is God our Father, but He is worthy. Worthy of what? He's worthy of anything and everything. He's worthy of all the praise. We praise sports teams. We, we praise all kind of things, musical artists. Um, there have been so many award shows on, and I have not watched one of them. I used to watch every one of them, but I've gotten sick of watching all the garbage that's on it. I'm officially old. But I, just don't, I don't watch all that because I found myself thinking, man, all that is is just praising people. Now, I love to pat people on the back and tell them they've done a good, deal, a good job, that, that what they've done is, is special. But the only thing that's worthy of praise, praise is different than giving someone a compliment. Praise is when you set aside part of who you are to look someone in the eye and go, you're amazing. You're more special than anything. And Jesus says this term to his disciples because he wants his disciples to understand how important the name of God is. Brother James talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He said that when in the, in the olden days, or in the biblical days, we'll say it that way, when they would write down the different messages that God was giving them, when they would come to the word God, they would go and they would take a shower. They would take the pencil that they were using and get rid of it and get a brand new pencil, brand new clothes, before they would even write the name of God. That's how special that name was to them. Hallowed. Worthy. And Jesus wanted the disciples to understand that God is not just worthy when you're speaking to Him. He's worthy in every breath that you take. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your love. He's worthy of you being willing to sacrifice for who He is. So my question would come to you. Is the name of God something that you would consider worthy? For many of us, the time that we hear God the most is through the music we listen to when someone's taking His name in vain. And you understand that taking His name in vain is not just a strew of profanity thrown with God in a last name, right? You get where I'm going there? I'm not even going to consider saying it. But also, when someone just says something like this, Oh my God. And I used to not think anything about that. But God really got a hold of my heart. Because His name is more special than that. And I heard this old man. Oh, I love old people. They tell great stories. But this old man was sitting there, and this, this, this young buck walked up and said, Oh, my Lord. And he said, You better not call him unless you need him. And I thought, Oh, that's good. That's good. Because when you call him the name of God, you got to understand what happens. The creator of all goes, Yes. My son can call me a thousand times. And hey, And finally, at some point, I go, What? God doesn't do that. As soon as you call his name, he's like, yes. An instant answer. It's not like your friend sends you a text and they stare at their phone for 38 minutes. Why didn't they text me back? I say, hurry up. What do they mean? They don't like me anymore? As soon as you say it, God stops and says, yes. His name is worthy. So is his name important to you? 
When you hear someone take his name in vain, does it sicken you? Does it bother you? Or are you just like, well, it's just them being them? I heard one of the football players, all he said was, oh, my God. And I was just like, oh, man. We're going to have to talk about that. But Jesus wanted them to understand it wasn't just in their prayer life, but as they went, that that name should be something special. Hallowed, holy, worthy is that name. So there's another beautiful attribute of who God is. God is not just your father, but he is worthy. He's worthy. And our final attribute. Nope, it's not our final. As we continue reading, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. When you see that, here's here's our attribute of God. It says kingdom. Now, who is in charge of a kingdom? I like how y'all waited for them to say it, and then y'all are like, yeah, that's right, that's what I, yeah, king, that's what I'm talking about, king, king. So the king is in charge of the kingdom. So when Christ says, your kingdom come, he is saying, your kingdom, which means you are a king. I don't know if you've ever been around a king. I've been to Burger King. That's all I got. I've never met royalty. Now, I met some pretty fancy folks. Jessica and I had, a, I almost got your name out, Jessica and I, we had the opportunity to meet uh, the guy that, I was about to say invented, I guess you invent, he invented Hobby Lobby. I've never met a billionaire before, have y'all? <laughs> I had never met, I, I don't know a whole lot of millionaires, I know a couple of heirs, I ain't got nothing but heir, right? Uh-huh. But when I met him, I looked at him, I was like, hey, little old bitty billionaire, billion, he was like, hey, my name's Steve. And I was like, hey, I didn't know what to say. That's the closest thing I've ever been to royalty. And he was just as down to earth. But then I watched these royal people. Y'all watch the royal wedding? <laughs> I ain't alive, boy. They come busting up and chilling. Can't like, oh, kiss my hand. I kiss my, never mind, right? <laughs> foot, foot. Right, come on. No, I don't bow down to nobody. Man, I'm a grown man with whiskers that are white. I ain't bowing down unless my back's blowed out, right? But in royal worlds, the king rules. And you look back in the biblical days, the king was not just the person that was in charge of country. He was in charge of military. He was in charge of everything. He had control of everything. And when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, calls out to God and says, Your kingdom come, he is begging his father, the king, to come. What would happen if the king came? Now, I don't care what your political beliefs are. I don't, I don't give a nothing. I don't care. That's up to you. But if the president of the United States walked in that door right now, I would probably wet my pants because he is the president. If President Obama walked in, I would probably wet your pants because he was. Pre- if Ronald Reagan walked in, we'd all die because he's dead. But I would see him and go, ah. Oh! Come on, president. That's royalty in my mind. But what if God himself walked into this room? Now, some of you smart, y'all, you know, you burst into flame because I saw that Indiana Jones, right? Well, he said, you can lean up against a mountain and when I walk by, you can see my back. That's all you're going to see. If you just listen, you can hear me. There's a burning bush, you know? But what if he walked in? If the God of all creation stepped in the door and said, hey, how would you respond? 
And that's what Christ is calling for. He wants the disciples to have that mindset that they desire to have God's kingdom here on earth just as it is in heaven. Now, Jesus would be the only one that would understand what that means because he came from heaven to earth. But as he says that, they have to understand that there's something special about what he's asking. And he says, your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. He wants this, and that should be our prayer, that what goes on here would be as special as what goes on in heaven. And I think we all understand that we live in a world that is sinful, and heaven is a place where there's not any sin. So we won't have that, but we could have the desire to have that. And when you have a desire for something, you work hard, harder for it. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. The will of God, what would the will of God be for you? It's to love Him. And the beautiful thing about God is He makes it really simple. If you love Him, genuinely love Him, everything else falls into place. I do, I'm honored to do weddings from time to time. And you're supposed to do marriage counseling. And I've got friends that are pastors. Like, we do seven sessions and I give them four books. And, and I'm like, I talk to them for about 30 minutes. And I say, if they can't remember one simple rule, you know. And I sit down with this couple and I go, why are you going to marry her? Because I love her. Okay. Why are you going to marry him? Because I love him. All right, we got a good foundation. Now, let's keep an order in our marriage. And they'll just look at me. I say, God has to be first. And they go, okay. I met with a couple. Uh, she had been married twice. He had been married once. And they sat in my office. And I said, marriage is really simple. And they both just looked at me like I was an idiot. Because both of them had been through nasty divorces. And when I said that, they just looked at me. And I could see the wheels turning like, why are we getting this knucklehead to do our wedding? And I leaned back. I said, it's really simple. If you put God first, everything else works out. might not be easy, but it's going to work out. And when I said that, I looked at the lady and I said, did you put God first in your other marriages? No. And I looked at the man and said, did you put God first in your marriage? No. Then put him first. See y'all. See you at the wedding. We talk a little bit more than that. But God's will is for you to love Him. And if you genuinely love Him, everything else is going to work. So one of the attributes that we see is He is the King. And the King is able to grant whatever He wants over His kingdom. And if you're part of His on earth as it is in heaven, and let it start with me. Let it start with me. And our final mark for tonight is give us this day our daily bread. So we've seen that God is our Father. We've seen that He is worthy. We've seen that He is a King. But now we see that He is a provider. And one of the most special parts of being a father is to be able to provide for my family. Now, we live in the world where a lot of folks, moms and pops, both work. My wife and I both work. And I'm not talking about financially provide for my family, but there are just certain things that I like to do. I like to do special things for my family, to try to take care of them, to provide for them. Every once in a while, I provide for their wants, but we provide for the needs. And this is something that I want you to understand how special this comment is. Give us this day our daily bread. How many of you woke up this morning and started with a prayer and you said, God, as I go in today, I pray that you'll help me just scrape by. Probably not one of you. I don't know if any of you started with prayer other than, oh my God, help me get out of this bed because mama's yelling. Maybe that was your prayer this morning. I don't know. Help me get to the bathroom before it's too late. I don't know what your prayer might have been. But if you started your day with prayer, it probably wouldn't. Lord, just let me scrape by. 
I hope for nothing extravagant. I hope the meals aren't really tasty. I hope they just fulfill me. No, we want the good stuff. And we find ourselves calling out, Dear God, Janis Joplin wrote a song about 7,000 years ago. And she would sing it, and she sang horribly, but she would say, Oh, Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes Benz so I can drive it around and show all of my friends. It was even before I was around. It's an old, old song. But that was the thing I started thinking about. It's when we pray, we, we pray for the extravagant. We want the big things. Yet, God, Jesus is telling us, pray for our daily bread. And you got to understand, daily bread is something special. It wasn't go to the cabinet, open it up, and go, wonder bread. It's something they had to work at. They had to get the, the ingredients. Most of the time, they grew everything that they had to have. And they would get the ingredients, and, and they would get up early in the morning, and then they would make the dough, and they would build a fire, and they would start the, the, the flame getting the, the whole oven hot, and they would sit the bread in there, and then the bread would come out, and that would be what sustained them for the day. And so that takes our, our thought of what this is to a different level, that you would give us this thing that's going to sustain us. We see the beauty of God talking about bread. He says that I am the bread of life. And when he talks about the, the Israelites being out in the wilderness and the manna fell from heaven, the bread that fell from heaven. And it said that each morning they would get up and there would be fresh bread from heaven. And they would collect the bread and they were given strict instructions. You collect the bread that you need for today. You can't hoard any. You can't go and collect a bunch and think you'll have a midnight snack, maybe. Or maybe you'll just have enough so you don't have to get up early in the morning and get it. It says every day you go and collect it. And every day they would go to collect it. They would go to collect the gift from God that would sustain them through the day. Have you gone to God every day and just asked for Him to sustain you? Or is maybe, maybe Wednesday night at Crossroads the only time you gather the Word of God. Or, or, may, or maybe a, a Sunday evening service or a Sunday morning service is the only time. If the only time you're gathering God is when you come to church, man, you're missing out on some good food. Because God has something for you. The giver of great gifts. The giver. Giving out of love. If I give out of guilt, it's not special at all. But when I give because I love it becomes something extremely special. And Christ is talking to His disciples. He says, if you want to know how to pray, you need to ask God for your daily bread. What would sustain you for the day? And don't forget, you need to do this every day. When people ask me, you know, how do you do your quiet time? My quiet time starts a little after 5 if I'm not lazy. I've been lazy this week. It's been like 5.30 or 5.45 before I've gotten up. And the only reason I've gotten up is because I hear the shower running. And I realize I'm not in the shower, so it must be Jessica. So I need to get up anyway. 5 o'clock. I go in. I check my blood sugar. And it looks like syrup pouring out because my sugar's been bad here lately. And I take 28,000 pills. And I get a cup of coffee. And I sit down with my iPad. And I pull up my devotion. And that's something that I need every day. I need to sit down and just focus some time on who God is. And as we, we read the model prayer, we come to the understanding that there's something special about this. Here's something I want you to really think on between now and next week. Why did Jesus pray? We've had so many discussions about Jesus being God. Why would Jesus have to pray? We, we all believe that God is omniscient. So if He's omniscient, that means He knows everything. So before we know our need, He knows our need. So why would I pray? That's your homework for this week. I want you to come up with a great answer 
of why Jesus would pray. Now, we understand that everything Jesus did was to be an example for us, but let's look deeper into this. Why would Jesus pray? He's getting to know His Father, of course. But there's something deeper that we're going to look into next week. Thank you for being here tonight. The attributes of God. Before you can know who God is, you've got to spend time with Him. My prayer is that you would be spending more time with Him than the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thanks for being a part of today's podcast. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us through our social media. Uh, go to KennyCrossroads.com and you can find links to all my social media. Or, hey, just stop by and send me sometime. West End Baptist Church in Clanton, Alabama. Or you can come on a Wednesday night to Crossroads. Love for you to come be a part of what God's doing here. And again, thank you for being a part of Crossroads. Thanks for being a part of today.